here that, you know, he, he, he is, he's, he's measuring things out. But he gives us the picture of doing this with a span. Like a, a, a span is the length between your thumb and your pinky finger. So he, he is intimately involved, personally involved. And then he brings out the, the scales to measure the dust of the earth, the mountains, and the, and the hills. But we begin to, to see that these scales are very, 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 very small that he uses. Some scholars like to see this verse as God working at his bench, perhaps in his tool, tool, uh, tool shed. But I wonder if it's more like this, more like Shaquille O'Neal playing with my two-year-old's mini Play-Doh set. You know, I wonder if that gets to it. You know, even the smallest matters, God has thought thoroughly through the implications and weighed the materials perfectly. Isaiah asked further, verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man has, what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Even the questions bring humility to us as we think about God. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no other mind, there's no other hearts, and no other motivation that's higher than God's. Even as we learn throughout Scripture, through verses like, you know, Romans 11, 34, or 36, but who has known the mind of God? Or who has been his counselor? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And even in Isaiah 55, we learn this, a familiar passage. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You see? You see the gap? <laughs> For as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than yours. You see, God is on a plane all by himself. God is not created. God is not a creature. He's not like us. Sometimes he will come to us and, and speak to us from our point of view for our learning and teaching and growth because he's intimately connected with us. He comes and pays attention to who we are. But as we think about the mind of God, God does not need a counselor like we do to each other, right? We counsel each other, friends to each other. God doesn't need a coach. God doesn't need a committee or consulting company or a consultant. And some of you are great consultants, humanly speaking, right? You're good at your jobs. You're working it. You're in the details. You're telling people how to meet their goals. They're great ones. But see, when it comes to God and his decisions, he is in a league of his own. Because God's wisdom is unaided by anything else. God knows 
how things are put together, friends. Think of our bodies. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows our frame. God really knows what bones are for. We think we know what bones are for, but God really knows what bones are for. You know, I mean, he knows how we are, are built. He built us for optimal flourishing. Even when we are, we are weak and, and frail, there's something about how God has made us where we move forward. We keep going. We don't understand it, but this is the depth of the mind of God. He does. And we still are exploring the body and, and thinking about, how, you know, how do things work together with people? And then you think of the universe. Like, how is all that connected? How does God hold the earth up, you know? There are unanswered questions because some of these things can't be answered except by God. God knows how things hold together. God even orchestrates the multiverses and time travel, you know? Time travel is not a factor for him. He is in all places at all time. God is really outside of time. He's eternal. God is a wise creator. And God is the great ruler over the nation. And so we would think in our minds that, yes, the people of God are under this Babylonian captivity. They're under this nation, and they can't go home, you know. Uh, they can't see where they lived and where they played. And so, is, are the nations stronger, bigger, better than God? This is what God says in verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. You see, God is inviting us to see that there is no nation under the sun that can outdo God, that is more powerful than him that has all the resources outside of him. The small nations, the powerful nations, all the ones that, was, that were then and now are under God. They are like a drop from a bucket. And you know, I, I have plants in my house. I love plants. You know, they grow by themselves. <laughs> Sometimes they die alone, too. Uh, <laughs> but plants are great, you know, and they are growing like crazy. I, I feel like our house is a greenhouse right now. They, I mean, they, we have this one big plant. I don't know what to do with it. It's everywhere. And so I, I take some water in the bucket and I go around watering the plants. I don't whistle. I just water the plants. And every now and then, a little drop of water comes out of the bucket. You know, I may miss it a little. 
I'm not talking about sloshing around. I'm talking about a, a drop. God is saying, all nations from all time are like that drop from the bucket. One drop. And then God brings our attention back to the scales. And he said, the nations are like the, uh, the dust on my, on my side table. <laughs> you know, they, it's like I just blow and the, the dust goes away. And the coastlands and islands are like that. God brings our attention to Lebanon because Lebanon was known for its fine timber. You know, had this great forest on the mountainsides. You know, you pile up all the timber and all the beasts all together, and God is saying they're not enough for a burnt offering. They're not going to offer in atonement, you know, unto God that is fitting. For this reason, it's only, you know, Jesus that can, that can do that. Because that's what the Bible tells us. Because God loves the nation so much that Jesus was slain. And by his blood, he was ransomed. He has ransomed people from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. So before God, all nations amount to nothing. This is not saying, God is not downing the nations and saying that he doesn't love them. No, he he said, compared to me, the nations that want to come up against me? Nothing. Minuscule. To me, they are empty as they are compared to who I am. Just a drip from a bucket. But this ought to give us great assurance of God's immensity and great assurance uh, of the hope that we have. And that's what it was for, to give the people in captivity great assurance. It's like, no, don't think that the Babylonians has, they, they have the say so at the end of the day, they're doing God's bidding because God is teaching his people. He's disciplining them because his people need to come and and realize who he is and his power and who to put their trust in, just like we do. We know there are powerful nations, as we say, in the world. Our nation in itself, people flock here to America, they see the conditions as being better. But God would not have us fool ourselves to think that any nation under the sun is the end all and be all with all this beauty, with all this power, with all the offerings of protection. Because don't you see that God is the one who is sort of, not sort of, he is orchestrating the systems of the world, bringing things to be. Because he loves the people in the nations. Not just one nation under God, all nations under God. And so we are to put our trust in the one who considers the nation as a drop from the bucket. He's able to keep us. God is the wise creator. He's the ruler over the nations. And God alone is God. To whom, then, will you liken me? To whom, then, will you liken God? What likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman cast it. 
and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not lose. The people, here's the crux, they've been comparing God to an idol. They lost total focus that he is God. <laughs> Tim Keller states in his book called The Counterfeit Gods, I read some years ago, and this is how he describes an idol. He said, an idol is any, anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. Idols are not God. The things that we choose to put our trust in in the world to give us satisfaction, not God. We do indeed exchange the gifts that God gives us for the lie that it will be our God. There are all kind of, here, here in this passage here, he's talking about a carving that people would use and say, this is my God. I'm going to bow down to this carving. I'm going to channel God to this carving. God said no. Because God has already told his people long ago that he is God. The Lord is God. He is one. They're to worship him. He is the deliverer. He delivered them from Egypt and many troubles up into this time. And God told them not to have any gods before him and not to make any image of a god through a carved image. And so to do so, to hold anything up in our hearts as God is a sin. It's an evil against God, especially when he has revealed himself to his people. But you see how close God has to stay to us? You see how he has to come near and shepherd us? And you see how he has to come and give us assurance? Because God knows our hearts. He knows the competing artifacts for our hearts. God knows that there are ways that we choose to cope with life because it's so painful. And God knows that sometimes the coping mechanisms turn into idols. We feel like we can't live without them. We feel that they become larger than life. You know how I know? Because I'm mad when I don't get what I want. I'm mad that it doesn't go my way. And I am fussy. And I doubt God. That's an idol lurking around when that happens. So Isaiah shows us <laughs> through, through our sarcastic means, you know, it's like, hey, look, look, look at the idol. Look, somebody, somebody formed it. So a craftsman cast it. Then a goldsmith overlays it with gold. And then the person who has made this little figurine has chosen the best wood. That would not rot, so they think. And we know wood can last a long time, but it's not going to outlast God. Eventually, it will rot. And then the crux of the matter is like now, the idol that's supposed to be there for you 
you have to make sure you hire somebody to prop it up so it doesn't fall down. <laughs> you know, it's like, I thought, what? You, you're serving an idol, but idol serving, it's a desire for control, isn't it? To make something that says, this is mine. To love something so deeply that you would say, it is mine. It could be another human being. Not just materialistic things, but another person that we have in our hearts in that way, that we treasure. But the Bible tells us the things that we hold in our hands that, are, that we consider as bigger and better than God is a lie. It's not the truth. That those things will not get us what we are looking for. That they are not meant for our worship. They cannot move. They cannot see. They cannot hear. And God says, those who worship idols, you're going to become like them. Never hearing, never perceiving, never seeing, dead. So God makes sure that his people sees him so they will know that the idols are meant to be put down with haste so that they will know that he's keeping them from death. Have you ever had something that you wanted so bad and God took it away and you were mad? It didn't, maybe you didn't say, say God took it away. Maybe you were just mad because you didn't have it. Perhaps that was God's way of doing surgery on your heart by taking it away so that you would not go down to death with that idol. It could have been a person. It could have been something you wanted, a way of to, to succeed. It could have been more money. It could have all tons of things. God would take these things out of the way because he has no tolerance for them because he's a jealous God. And don't get it twisted. His jealousy doesn't come in a mean way. It comes in loving care. Because God will make you like him. He wants us to have his character and know his ways. God wants us to be like him. He wants us to flourish in his hand. So of course, like a good God would, he's going to take that thing away. Because he loves us so much. So what do you need to repent of? What do you need to give up? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to take through the sifter of, wait, is this a challenge for my heart over God? I need to give that up. We need to be honest. We need to ask God to help us to be honest about those things. So we see that God is a wise creator. God is the ruler over the nations. He's God alone. And God has not left us because God is the active ruler over the world leaders. Verse 21, do you not know, do you not hear, has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Another way of thinking about this through another translation is saying, have you not been paying attention? Have you been listening? Haven't you heard all these stories all your life? He's talking to his people. Don't you understand the foundation of all things? So God has been speaking to his people, the ones that he made a covenant with, 
the ones that he set his affection upon. He speaks to them. Ever since before the fall and after the fall, God's been intervening in our lives. He's been coming and, and singing over us, delighting in us, telling us the truth, leading us. And sometimes we don't pay attention. Sometimes we don't listen. Sometimes we for, forget the things of God. Isaiah goes on. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. The earth is God's footstool. It's in this bowl shape. You know, it's encircled. God sits above it. And when God looks at us, we're like grasshoppers. <laughs> you know, tiny compared to God. Maybe that's why God gave us mosquitoes. Hmm. Small, like Christian. Or ants. Something small so that we can get it, right? But what does God do for these grasshoppers? Hopping around on the earth, going to and fro. God makes a home for them. God makes a home. God wants to dwell with them in this home. The God of the universe. He could be any place at any time. But he's saying, no, this, this earth is, is worth it. This person is worth it to me. I love them. They're very minuscule. They're puny. They don't have power. They're weak, especially after sin. They are just, yeah, I love him. I cast my love upon them. And this is how I'm going to show my love. I'm going to make a place for them. You know, it's like it's nothing for me to cast a canopy for the people that I love. That's what God does for us. And this is, a, this, this is something else that God does. He brings princes to nothing, verse 23, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. You see, these are the rulers that are in opposition of the plans of God. They may have heard about God themselves and know that God would love his people, but they want to use God's people. It's not, it's not saying that, look, every leader is not going to be a perfect leader, but there are some that are malicious and bent on intent of using these grasshoppers for their own ends. They don't want there to be a tent over them because perhaps these leaders get in places where they think they should rule the world. And they try to take over the world in their own way, scheming, plotting, killing. They have their own mission in mind. And God is telling his people that, no, Cyrus the Great is my servant. Nebuchadnezzar has no power over you. He's doing my bidding. You can think about whatever president or leader, general, CEO of a company you want. God holds the king's heart in his hand. And he directed like a water horse wherever he pleases. These rulers would do well to bow down to the great king of kings, the ruler of all, because he's active in his world 
And this is what he does to those that don't bend their knees to him, that have heard of him and know that he is the true God. He brings them to nothing. They're empty, void. You remember Pharaoh who wanted to go his way? God hardened his heart. It was a tough lesson to learn. You lost everything because he wouldn't bow to his maker as he was supposed to. These leaders to God don't amount to much as they go up against him. God is like saying, like, they're, they're like seeds of barley rooted, just sprouting. And then when God blows on them, they shrivel. Like flecks of a, a chaff, they're gone with the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. You think of a ruler. There are some rulers we still talk about to this day. They're gone. And the rulers that we talk about today that are here, they're going to be gone too. Your favorite ruler, they're going to be gone. Either out of office, but gone, gone. And guess who's going to last forever? God. God is going to be active, ruling in the world, ruling over your hearts forever. Because you belong to him. He's active in your heart. He's active in the world. What is he doing? God is showing you his great love, that he has not forgotten about you. When the rulers mess up and make decisions that are out of order, God's order, he hasn't forgotten. And that's why we pray. That's why God tells us to pray for our leaders, to pray for the king. Because God is in control, not them. They need the counselors and the consultants. They need the wise people around them because they don't know what they're doing. Because they haven't bowed their knees to God. So God sends his people to help them. Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther. God, God sends his people right in into the courtroom to help them. Because his plans will prevail. Lastly, God is the watchful creator. We've already been hearing that. He's watchful over all things. Again, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. People look up at the stars all the time. It's overwhelming when you see the Milky Way and the stars upon stars and the shooting stars. It's so overwhelming, all-encompassing. You feel like nothing. You feel like there's something out there. And you know, in Babylon during this time, there were the uh, 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 astrologists looking at the stars. They were, they were kind of forecasting the events of the earth and trying to interpret uh, interpret how to live their lives and how to teach people to live their lives. They would make up things that, you know, things of control. Like, yeah, this star is doing this. I see this star is doing They would observe the stars. Nothing wrong with stargazing. We should do it. We should do more of it. But to say there's something up there that's bigger than God is an error. God says, 
Who created these? You're not going to find me in the stars. These are my creation too. Look at what I, I bring these out. By number, I know the name of every single one of them. We have one that we've named the sun, the star in our uh, galaxy, you know, and diameter is 864,000 miles. It burns 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, and then even hotter in the center. It's 109 times wider than the earth. I mean, I mean, we travel around the globe, but still, it's big. But the sun is, is way beyond. <laughs> and then when we look up at the night sky with our naked eye, right, we see about 5,000 stars. You ever try to count them? You always lose count, don't you? It's like you try to hold on to it, but you lose count. It's too many. It's a lot. They're all twinkling. And then on top of that, as we know from science, Daily and other scientists that report on this, now there are approximately 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. And that's one universe. There are more <laughs> universes that we're finding. And guess what? Scientists have found out that the universe is expanding. Of course it is expanding. God, God tells us it is. He's bringing them out. So if a star goes, he, he's bringing them out. He knows their name. Tri billion, tri you have to make up a number after a while. The number is so big, it's hard to imagine. God says, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who has given each of these names? Not one of them is missing, and you will not be missing either. God has thought of you, friends, before the foundation of the world. And then after he created the world, he came to his friend Abraham and told him to look up. Look up at the sky. So shall your offspring be. So he's saying, your offspring, the one who will sit on David's throne forever, that's the offspring. Because it tells us in Galatians that God made these promises to Abraham. And to his offspring, not saying, and offsprings, referring to many, but the one. And that one is Christ. So Abraham, look up and see. I'm going to bring many sons to glory that are faithful to me, that bend their knees to me, that worship and serve the living God. And Jesus Christ is his name. Jesus is God. Jesus is ruling the affairs of the world because God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one that laid down his life for us, the grasshoppers of the world. Jesus is the one that pulled us out of the fire. He pulled us out of the clutches of the rulers of the world because Jesus is the ruler of our lives, friends. There's no other God who sits on high. He is the one at the right hand of the Father, and all things were made from him and through him and to him. Let's give God glory, because God is God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. 
and for setting your people apart unto yourself. Thank you for the celebration today that we've had of worshiping you, God. There's no other worship besides worshiping you. Thank you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.